Good morning. Welcome back. Good to see everybody. Back in the book of Judges this morning with our series Christianity 101. Judges chapter 7. And uh, we're going to continue looking at Gideon and God's working in Gideon's life to deliver Israel. So... Last week, uh, God pruned the army of Israel down from 32,000 all the way down to 300. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we can be sure of is with such a great pruning, we can expect to see God do a great miracle. Uh, this week, God is going to show Gideon just what he needs to do in order to, to uh, order the army and, and get things prepared for the battle. Uh, but first, God is going to calm Gideon's nerves. God sees our heart and understands us. He understands how frail we are, uh, so he understands that uh, Gideon is, is scared. This is new. This is this faith in God is new. Uh, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, uh, Gideon was threshing wheat by the wine press and hiding when God came to him, and, and Gideon truly understood who, who God was, and he began to take those first shaky steps, and now we're just a few days removed from that, and uh, God is getting ready to send him into battle. So Judges chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse number 9. The Bible says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, for <clears throat> go with Fura thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then he went down with Fura his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand of the sea for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here and to hear your truth. Lord, I pray that these truths would be uh, encouraging to us, that they would uh, strengthen us, that they would embolden us. Lord, that we would be able to go out the rest of this week uh, from now on and be bold and effective witnesses for you. Lord, I pray that we would never forget these truths, uh, that they would become a part of us, just like our hands, just like our feet, that they would become uh, something that would sustain us. So God, please guide and direct. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So God, again, we see a command. God has, has told Gideon uh, that he is going to use Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites. 
Uh, he's given him direction on what to do. He's answered Gideon's requests. He's, he's confirmed what he's doing. And now God says, arise, go, it's time. It's time for you to go. This is exactly what uh, Gideon was looking for as he was putting out the fleece. He was looking for that distinct, absolute direction from God. And God says, go. God's prepared the army. He's pruned it down. He's gotten it to exactly where he needs it to be. And he instructs Gideon to arise and go to the camp of the Midianites. His exact words are, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. Notice here that it's in past tense. That it's, it's the word have has been used, for I have delivered it. This, is, this means it's already come to pass. God has already done it. The action is already complete. It is a foregone conclusion. Midian, the host, will be delivered into the hands of Gideon. Gideon will be successful. There's no debate. We understand that God can't lie and that what God has said is going to come to pass. But Gideon, still as a young man, as, as, a, as a, a new believer, newly following this God, is nervous. He, ha- he doesn't have that faith. And God is understanding of that, and we're going to see that here in a few minutes. But it's finished. It is finished is what Christ cried on the cross. Our salvation is done. There's nothing else that needs to be accomplished. Our deliverance has already been completed. Not just yours, not just ours, not just mine, but the whole world's. Just like God has already delivered the host into the hand of Gideon and his army, he's already completed everything for us. Now it's time for them to go take it. All that's left for the whole world is for them to just take that gift. We went out on Friday, knocked on a few doors, were able to to briefly talk to a few people and uh, invite them out to church to try and help them to understand that, that God has already given them that gift. I don't know that we'll see any of them today, but just pray. Pray that the track that we've given that has the word of God in it will, will go out and it will touch their hearts. Um, as I drove by yesterday to pick up some more chairs, all the doors that we had knocked, all the places we had left tracks, they're all gone. So either they've been picked up and taken in or they've been picked up and thrown away or they've blown away, but they're not where we left them. Uh, so praise the Lord. Hopefully somebody's going to get that. But it is finished. <coughs> The cross was for everyone. And this is the hardest thing for people to wrap their head around. I've, I don't know how many times I've heard that, that uh, men say, or, or women say, that, that, that you don't know the bad things I've done. I can't be saved. I've done too much. But we, don't under, we have to understand that the cross was even for men like Hitler, for men like Stalin. The cross was even for Judas Iscariot if he would just have believed. If he would come to know and understand what Christ had done for him, if he had waited till the resurrection to understand what had happened, he could have been saved just like everybody else. But they chose a different path. The sad truth, they chose to reject and and try to solve the problem their own way. 
The lost world today has no excuse for not knowing and believing that there is a God who created all and that he has sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. Romans 1. Romans 1 and verses number 20 and 21. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Or how about Psalm 19? Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heaven from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that they that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Verse number six, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Or how about Psalm 97? Psalm 97, the Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlighten the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of their judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is shown, <clears throat> sorry, light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holiness. The Bible is clear that there is no one on earth that has an excuse to not know and believe that there is a God. God is everywhere. Notice also that God used the phrase, the host. He says, I have delivered he says, get, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. God didn't say, I've delivered Midian. God didn't say, I've delivered Amalek. God didn't say, I've delivered the children of the east. God said, I've delivered the host. All of them. Everyone. It's important to remember that God in his infinite power chooses his words very carefully. 
If you go through Genesis 1, the, the, the record of creation, you'll notice that as he goes through each day, he says very specific things. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And then he goes on and he forms this and he forms that. He forms the, the, the earth. He brings forth the grass and the, the herb-yielding tree and, and all these things. But he says very specific things. God could have done all of creation in one day. He could have said, let it be, and it would be. But he chose to, to speak each and everything into existence in a certain order for a certain purpose. And we see that as we go through. We understand that we as humans need a few things. We need oxygen. We need light. Well, in order for us to survive, he had to create the things that would create oxygen before he created us. In order for the world to have light, he needed to create the light before he created the world. He created the light before he created the things that would govern the light, before he created the sun and the moon. And these are things that, that scientists have stumbled over for years because the scientists will tell you, the evolutionists will tell you that, that light travels only so far and the, the sun is so far from the earth that it couldn't have possibly gotten here in the time that we've been around if, if we're a young earth, if we've only been around for about 6,000 years. Well, the problem is they don't read and they don't believe because God created the light first. He created everything with order and purpose. There was not chaos. It was decent and in order. If we go to John 11, we haven't gotten this far in the book of John yet, but John verse 11, or John chapter 11 and verse number 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Of course, this is Christ going and resurrecting Lazarus, who's been in the grave for three days or for four days at this point. His sisters, his own sisters had said, as Christ said, roll the stone away, they said, but, but Lord, he stinketh. Surely he stinketh at this point. But Christ comes and he rolls the stone, they roll the stone away and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. <coughs> and I'm sure you've all heard that the reason that he says Lazarus is because if he had just said come forth, everyone in there would have come out. He had to be very specific. This little phrase here in Judges is no different. God told Gideon that the host had been delivered into his hand because he meant all. Not just a few, not just Midian, not just Amalek, but all. A complete victory. Just like Christ on the cross saying it is finished, salvation is complete. It hasn't just already been done, it is complete. There is nothing remaining. And once you've accepted that gift, it's yours forever. It can't be taken away. 
And then we have, as we go on, God says in verse number 10, but if thou fear to go down, if, there, if thou fear to go down, go thou with fear of thy servant down to the host. God uses that three-letter word that is probably my favorite word in the Bible. That word, but. God follows this, tr this tremendous statement with, of saying, I've already done this. I've delivered them into your hand. You will be victorious, completely victorious, but if you're afraid. That three-letter word is, is a word that is a complete turning. Um, oh, I cannot remember his name now. Oh, uh, Jeff Goldblum. You guys know who Jeff Goldblum is? He was the one of the he was the the mathematician on Jurassic Park. He's got a very distinct voice, and he's he's a little odd, and he has this way about him when he speaks of he. You think you're going and he's going in one direction, and all of a sudden he just turns it around. And there's a joke about. Somebody asked him his favorite food, and he and he ta he's talking about hot dogs and and chili dogs and coney dogs and all this stuff. And then he goes, "Ah, but I'm a vegetarian." It just it's just funny to me. But the idea of this is 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 he's going in one direction and then just completely turns around and and you just don't see it coming. God loves things like this because. We are headed in a direction. But God has given us an option. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That little word but has all of the power in the world. In Romans, God gives us our wages. The penalty for our sinful nature and disobedience is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here, God says, arise and go, but if you're afraid, do this first. He understands. He knows Gideon. Take Fura and go and hear what I've already done in the camp. Go hear what they're saying. Go hear their fear. God understands our nature and our, frail, our frailty. He understands that though we were created in his image, we are not omnipotent. We are not him. Instead, we're weak. Some would say even weaker than the animals. Think about it. It wasn't until we started domesticating animals that animals got sick and had to go to the vet. If an animal got sick, if any animal other than a cat or a dog or a cow or things like that... Come on in, Mom. Um, gets sick. A deer out in the woods, it either gets better or it gets deader. One or the other. It doesn't, it doesn't go to the doctor. Yet, we spend millions each year taking cats and dogs to the vet because they've got allergies or different things. We spend even more on ourselves. The, the littlest microscopic thing that we can't even see knocks us out for weeks on end. 
makes us feel terrible. Some of us are still battling those little things for the last couple of weeks. Not only that, but we allow our feelings to get hurt and it keeps us from following through. We give in to lust and temptation knowing that it will hurt us. And God knows all these things about us and is willing to ease our fears as long as we're willing to follow him. Now notice the stark contrast here between Gideon and the 22,000 that God sent home just a little bit ago. God says to Gideon, if you're afraid, go down and hear what I've already done. God said to the 22,000, if you're afraid, go home. What's the difference? The difference is those 22,000 were willing to go home. They were willing to let their fear keep them from following God. Gideon is still willing to follow God. He is still wanting to do what God wants him to do. He's just afraid. The host is in open rebellion against God and God's people. For the New Testament, why is that in there? For the New Testament, New Testament believer, this is evidence in that father-son relationship that the Christian have with their heavenly Father. A good father nurtures and helps his children as well as chastens. But those who are not his children don't get that luxury. Abraham, Malachi, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of things that I, I'll do a lot for you guys. But there's a lot of things that I'll do for my boys that I'll never do for you guys. Just because you're not my children. Do you, you understand that? Just like there's a lot of things that your dad will do for you that he'll never do for my boys. Because they're not his children. He doesn't have that responsibility. But our Heavenly Father loves and cares and nurtures us because we are His children. And Gideon is going to show courage. He again takes advantage of the Lord's grace and mercy as he takes Fura down to the edge of the camp to listen to the enemy talk. Now, this might seem like Gideon is, is not being courageous because he's got to go down and he's not being faithful to follow, but, but he's just admitted to the whole world that he's afraid. He's just admitted to his 300 men that he's afraid. It's been recorded for us some 5,000 years later that Gideon is afraid and went down to hear what the host was saying before the battle. That takes courage. Millions that have read this account through the ages have all been encouraged by the courage of Gideon. We have to remember that we learn just as much from our faults and our failures and from the faults and failures of those around us as we ever will from our successes. And we learn much quicker. Um, I was talking to uh, the guy with the Corvette the old guy at the shop last this week. I was talking to him. Uh, he's a vet. And I, I called him sir. And he said put a little more emphasis on the sir. And I, we got to talking. And in my mind I'm thinking. His drill instructor in the Navy. Would have uh, would have thought as we've 
or talk what we were whatever we were talking about would have would have, the thought would have come to his mind that learning had occurred because there'd been some pain involved. You know, you learn not to touch the stove when it's hot because you burn yourself. You learn pretty quick. Learning has occurred because pain is involved. You learn not to be disobedient to your parents if they are teaching you correctly because some pain might be involved. <laughs> you learn not to disobey your heavenly father because, unfortunately, some pain might be involved. You might have to go through some things that you never wanted to go through. We are learning from Gideon's faults and his failures just as much as we are from his successes. We see in Gideon ourselves, unsure of the next step, unsure of our own ability, and because we've not fully known and understood God, unsure of his will and his ability. <coughs> it's like my relationship with my own father. My biological father left when I was very young. I didn't really meet him for the first time until I was around 13 or 14. Um, didn't really get to know him very well until I was 18 and a little after, after I've already graduated. And even now, we don't have a very good relationship because we've just never been together. He's not been my father, and I've not been his son, even though I am. But I understand him a little better now that I've gotten to know him a little bit, but I don't truly know him. Now, if you take my dad, on the other hand, my dad and I think like each other. He adopted me when I was three. We have a lot of the same ideals. We have a lot of the same principles. If we're working side by side, we know who needs to do what step next. And we just continue leapfrogging one after another after another. Because we know what needs to be done. We know how each other work. We know what we're capable of. Gideon is just getting to know God. He's just getting to understand this loving creator that wants to help him. He now has a personal relationship with God and God is speaking to him, to him directly. This is exactly what it's like for us as we've been born again believers. Before we were born again, we knew about God. The Bible tells us that as we talked about just a minute ago, that we have no excuse to not know that God exists. We've heard the stories, but now as we've gotten saved and have that relationship, now we're learning who God really is. Take heart. God loves us just like he does Gideon. He's here to help us through our fears as long as we're willing to follow. Psalm 23 is a great reminder of this. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is a man after God's own heart. David is a man who truly knew and understood God. And because of that, he didn't have to fear. He didn't have to worry. He willingly followed and lied down in the green pastures. He willingly drank of the still waters. He willingly allowed God to restore his soul and to protect him in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you notice he didn't, he still had to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He still had to sit down at the table that God had prepared in the presence of his enemies. And if you remember the story of David, how many times was David standing in the shadows against the wall of the outside of the cave while Saul, who was seeking to kill him, was sleeping in the middle of the cave? How many times did David narrowly escape Saul's spear? But he trusted God. And he didn't take matters into his own hands. He allowed God to work it out in his time. The next thing we see as we continue on, Gideon goes down to the the edge of the camp and he begins to hear a man tell a dream the host is defeated from the word go these men are are having dreams but they're nightmares in this man's dream a loaf of barley bread a cake of barley bread tumbles into a tent and destroys it now this sounds like what happens to me after i have too much to eat before i before i go to bed I have nightmares about the attack of the killer tomatoes and them coming to, to hurt me. <laughs> Sorry. But thankfully, there's another soldier here that can interpret the dream. And he says, this is nothing save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. A man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Notice in your Bible that the word God coming from the soldier is capitalized. These soldiers knew the God of Israel. They knew about him. They knew who he was. They knew he existed. They knew his personal name. But they refused to serve him. Now, this whole situation sounds a little familiar. If you go back to Joshua 2... Joshua chapter 2, just a book back. And verse number 8. The Bible says, And before they were laid down, she came up unto them on the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when he came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites and were in, that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we, heard, as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. This is Joshua, or is Rahab explaining to the two spies the sentiment in Jericho. The reason that the king of Jericho is seeking to capture and kill these two spies is because they are 
afraid of Israel because they know that God has given Israel the promised land. They know that God is going to destroy Jericho. They're defeated. Or how about Daniel? Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, God gives Nebuchadnezzar the king a dream. And he dreams of a giant statue. And Daniel is going to interpret the dream. Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 37. Sorry, verse number 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever, notice Daniel puts in that the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom. He's explaining to Nebuchadnezzar that he's only there because God has allowed him to be there. And whosoever the children of men Wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over the, all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as the iron is not mixed with clay." And in the days of these kings shall God, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest the stone, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king that which shall come to pass hereafter and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that he should be, that he should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto them. Daniel is revealing, or God has revealed through Daniel in a dream to Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar is going is is a king. He's the the head of gold. Then the the neck of silver and brass, then the brass and the iron and the iron and clay. These are all kingdoms that are going to follow. Nebuchadnezzar is not going to live forever. God is predicting the future. And then the stone that is cut out without hands is going to come and going to destroy all of it. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. God has shown what's to happen. These were all foregone conclusions. God in the, in the Old Testament often used dreams uh, to communicate his plans. That's because the word of God was not available in those days. Today, God has left us a more sure word in the Bible and reveals within its pages what will happen. What we can learn from this interpretation, first, as we have said, the host will be delivered. <laughs> All of them. It's complete. 
Second, if we look at the people involved, we can see a couple of things. When you look at Gideon, Gideon is, is encouraged by what he hears. He returns and he gets his army in order. He has a plan. And Gideon took the information to heart and he trusted in the outcome. The soldiers of Midian, the soldiers of the host, were discouraged. They were afraid. They were defeated already. This is a great picture for us. These men did not know the God of Israel. They knew of the God of Israel, but they didn't know him. Again, notice that the soldier uses the capital letter. The, the, the word God is capitalized as a soldier speaking to his fellow. And, and he's using the personal name of God. They know him, but they don't know him as their God. They haven't placed their faith in this God. They've placed their faith instead in their own false gods, their own little g-gods. They didn't take this warning to heart. They could have got up and left. And it's not just these two soldiers that are having this problem. It's the whole host that's having this problem. We today have a choice. We have a choice. We can read our Bible and know and understand God and what he has to say, taking it to heart and allowing it to rule our lives. Or we can know of God and ignore his warnings. The majority of the world today knows about God. They know about Jesus, but they refuse to truly know him. They might even know and memorize scripture. It's counterfeit scripture. Or not, but they still refuse to heed its warning. Because of this, their lives are on a fast track far away from God for all eternity. There are even some born-again believers who have gotten their fire insurance. They've truly placed their faith and trust in the Lord for salvation at a point in time, and they'll spend eternity with Him in heaven, but they have failed to heed the rest of the warnings. They've failed to allow God to permeate their life. And because of this, they're living a life now that is hard, that is difficult. They're Israel. They haven't taken over for Israel, but Israel is a great picture. They, they're, they're suffering through bondage and captivity only to be uh, delivered, and then bondage and captivity all through history. Either way, their lives will be hard, and they will enter eternity just by the skin of their teeth, missing many, many blessings. Where do you stand today? I hope for all of us in the room that we're saved, that we know and understand the Lord Jesus Christ. We know what he's done for us. We've accepted that gift. But I hope more than that, that we're truly trying to get to know the God that has saved us. That like Gideon, we're truly trying to understand who he is and we're truly trying to walk the path that he's laid before us. We might be scared. We might be nervous. We might have little faith. But if we're willing to continue to move forward, to continue to follow God, He will continue to grow our faith. We've been going through the book of John on Sunday nights and, and we've watched the apostles grow. And they've grown in faith. They've had trials and they've had troubles and they've followed Christ. and They've grown in faith and we've seen so many fall away. But they haven't arisen yet. 
for they haven't arrived yet. We're going to see that on the night of the crucifixion, Peter, the most boisterous of all, the leader out of the apostles is, is going to fail. He's going to deny the Lord three times. But then just a little over a month later, as it comes to the day of Pentecost, he's going to boldly stand and preach and 3,000 are going to be saved. And he's going to live his life from that point on, never turning back. He finally got it. He finally truly understood who God is. Gideon is going to move on and he's going to continue and he's going to understand who God is. One of these days, hopefully, we'll get it too.